Okay. Perfect. And... Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the first Sunday of the month, which means it's time for Chef Del's Kitchen. Chef Del Shroff is going to be making delicious vegan recipes for St. Patrick's or St. Patty's Day, whichever you prefer. He's an enormously talented chef. We love having him on the show. Please welcome him back. Hello, Del. You just had a birthday. You don't look any older. Well, I, the expression is that I look like I gained any weight because I was a bad boy for my birthday, and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 back, back off of it. You know, you, you, uh, and I have talked over the years about addiction, and I've been an, an addiction denier, and I have decided, and I think I told you this recently that I, I, I've come around to a different way of doing it because I that trigger, sugar is the trigger. Oh my God. Yep. It's it's crazy. So I'm on I'm on team AJ now about the sugar and uh but i had fun i i hang out with some friends and um that's always a good thing that's great did you cook or did they cook um well the funny thing is so the first night um we had two, there were two nights the first night i gave my friend jeremy my lasagna recipe and he cooked it and he actually made the healthiest dessert he did some baked pears um with some vegan ice cream it was delicious uh, and then we went out to an Indian restaurant the second night, uh, Saturday night, with some other friends. There was a group of us. Nice. Yeah. Nice. My birthday's this month. We're going to do a meetup at a vegan restaurant that will do SOS free upon request. You are so lucky to have that SOS oh God, You're so lucky. And, and the thing is, it's not just one restaurant. It's like every restaurant here that's vegan, if you ask them, they'll do it. They can't like do it on the spot if you just show up. They have, but you just like 24 hours, 12 hours in advance, you say, hey, I'm coming. And we just went to this restaurant. It's a Vietnamese restaurant. And he made me a pho, which he, which is easy. He can do oil free easy, but he has, he struggles with the salt. It was like the best meal I ever ate. All I can think about is I just want to get that soup again, but he's like 45 minutes away. Do you, is it worth it to drive 45 minutes for soup? I don't know. Right. Right. It's a special occasion, right? Del, you, you know what he does that's brilliant? So I don't just avoid sugar. I have to avoid flour products too for the food addiction and also calorie density. So wow. I don't I, I don't eat noodles unless it's like zoodles, but zoodles are not noodles. They're zucchini. He makes mushroom noodles out of just mushroom. He takes these giant king oyster mushrooms. He chills them and he has this very sharp, like julienne peeler, and they look exactly like flour noodles. They're incredible. And they're just mushrooms. I love the creative thing that happens in the SOS community. You know, people really do. Like one of my favorite uh, date snacks treats is the, the snickerdoodle thing. A little bit of peanut butter and chocolate coated dates or even just the, without the chocolate. Oh, my God. Well, it's yeah, because nature can make anything that the processed food industry can. They made it first. I mean, think about it. The pharmaceutical industry, all medicines are, are basically they took what, what, the, 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 what plants did and they make them into chemicals. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's, it's it all starts with nature and it's all doable. And when we let ourselves get back to that, and we talked about this down-regulating the taste buds, you let yourself get back to that place. Salt's my next approach, but I'm, I'm not quite there yet. Let yourself get down to that place where you're not eating sugar, which is numbing the taste buds for everything else, then everything tastes sweeter. Everything tastes sweeter. Fruit tastes sweeter, right? 
So I was, and I, and I was eating blueberries yesterday. They're some of the best, even out of season, some of the best blueberries I've had for a while. So it's, it's kind of amazing when you let the body adjust and go back to nature, nature responds with some gifts. You know, that's what's great about going to True North because you neuroadapt and then the stuff like blueberries taste like delicious. Yeah, that uh, that True North thing is a, is a gift if you can if you can make it happen because you've got it takes time. And if you live in the real world, it almost takes that isolation to get, a you know, when we're bombarded with advertising and people showing up with cake and and all those things. Right. It, it makes it hard to let yourself get away from it and to. Uh, um you know, do that down regulation, that neuroadaptation we're talking about. Great. What are you going to make today? And uh, why Why are these dishes considered like appropriate for St. Patrick's? Like who decided? Is it just because they're Irish? I think they're, these are traditional Irish dishes. Um, we're making a, a stovetop pot roast, which is an adaptation from a meat-based version of pot roast that you would normally see. And then we're using um, mushrooms. So I've made this dish over the years at, and I've even catered a couple of St. Patty's Day celebrations um, using things like seitan and stuff like that. But I love them, the mushroom just as much because you get that meaty texture, you get that rich umami flavor um, without all the, the, the meat and the fat and all the other ingredients. So um, mine's up. And then the thing I love about this version of pot roast is it, it adds up the root vegetables. So if you look, we've got um, turnips, we've got parsnips, we've got red skin potatoes, we got carrots, which I apparently forgot to prep. So we have, you know, a wide variety of vegetables, a wide variety of vegetables, and and and, and it's just delicious. So yeah, I mean, think about it, Del, if you take the beef out of beef stew, it's just delicious. But if you take the vegetables out of beef stew, it's not anymore. Yeah, and my dad growing up, you know, I learned to cook with my dad and beef stew with one of his specialties. And I, I tell you what, I fed him this pot roast many years later, and he actually liked it. So it, it tells me something about the power of vegetables. My dad, my, my dad, 96 will be 97 this year, and he's not in the greatest of health, but one thing about him is that he will eat vegetables. And he will eat a vegan dish and not sit there and complain about not having the meat, right? So that might be why he's 96. Maybe you want to go with us. 96. Look, sounds like you got sturdy longevity genes there. You do when you do it right. But, you know, that family and we were, my brother and I were talking about it yesterday. Uh, my, my father's family, most of his brother, he had eight brothers and sisters. And one of them died when she was 16 and leukemia, the youngest. And then the rest of them, none of them lived much past their 60s or early 70s. And they all had diseases of affluence, of the excess consumption of meat and dairy. I had one uncle, his last two years were living hell because he would eat nothing but meat. He wanted fried pork chops every day. And he had the worst gout you ever heard of and the most pain. We, gout's a very, very painful thing. And he wouldn't stop eating the meat, right? So, but all of his, but my dad, at least I'm like, you know, he, he probably saved his own life because he was willing to um, eat vegetables every day. He always eats vegetables and sometimes he'll eat a, a vegan dish and doesn't complain about it. Yeah, I think the vegetables are really important. And, and I think about my husband's parents, they both lived till almost a hundred and no, they weren't vegan. They drank some alcohol, but they ate vegetables and they ate them every single day. Yeah. 
it, it's a it's a big big thing so we are going to celebrate vegetables with this stew and i hope everyone will try it um i just threw some onions and mushrooms into our pot uh, i got my pot preheated and we're going to cook these for seven to eight minutes until they um are tender and start to caramelize a little bit and do all that fun stuff that we like them to do um if you're new to oil-free cooking i think most of your followers are probably okay with it. You'll see different approaches to the oil-free saute. Mine is to start off with, with water-rich vegetables and to start off with um, a hot pan and a dry pan. Um, some people start off with a little bit of liquid in there. It's up to you how you do it. I'm just trying to maximize flavor and caramelization of flavor and then getting the extra water to come out of the vegetable concentrates the vegetable flavor. So that's that's one of the things that I love to do um, to make that happen. I'm going to set these aside here. So hot roast. This is a one pot meal. It's something that you can you can make and then. Um, well, we're serving with two other side dishes. By the way, I've made this both as a dish served in a bowl with side dishes of the coke cannon, which is the other dish we're going to make, and some Irish soda bread. But I've also made it. Um, as a shepherd's pie. So you make some mashed potatoes and set those down on top of it. Uh, you make the the, uh, the pot roast and put that into a, um, a a casserole dish. And then you um, put your your cold pan or your mashed potatoes and serve that on top of it. And um, you've got a great presentation. It's, you know, however you serve it up to you. I think when we're doing special dishes and we're doing dishes for the holidays, I think we need to celebrate food. I think we need to, to make our food look attractive and to make it look like something that you want to embrace, especially if you're feeding others who don't quite eat this food, right? If, if this is something that's new to people, the more attractive that you make it look, the more uh, likely they are to, to want to eat it and to embrace that. So you can see I added a little bit of water in there just a few minutes in. And you want to scrape up the bottom of this pan. And, and, and the part of here's the reason why with mushrooms, they actually, it actually is a weird thing. You can help them to release their liquid by adding a little bit of liquid in there. I don't know how that works, AJ. I'm just here for the show, right? <laughs> so that's a, a start on that thing um, on, our, on our pot roast. You know, last month, and I was thinking about this, um, you and I have talked about my weight struggles many times over the years and you've been um exceedingly supportive over the years and uh, i'm working my way i know it's not available now i'm working my way through the weight loss bundle recordings that i purchased um this last time and i'm excited i'm i'm excited to start looking at at weight loss from a different perspective because i've had a rough time in my weight loss with adopting habits and keeping habits right so I've always had this diet mentality. And until you get rid of that diet mentality and adopt a sense of permanence about what you're doing, you're not going to be successful at it. You know, even after having lost 100 pounds this past year and a half, even after having lost 200 pounds before, the weight slowly starts coming back on for a whole lot of reasons. And you have to address those reasons. In my case, it's emotional eating and it's, it's the diet mentality and a lot of other things. Um, but I'm reading this great book right now, and I think we're going to do it as a book study in CNS Kitchen, 
uh, called Atomic Habits. Have you ever heard of it? Adrian? It's a great book. It's it's a it's, and that's really true. You just have to develop like habits and systems in place and repeat them and don't think about them. You turn it into a habit so that it becomes an automatic thing. And here's the deal: it's starting off with making small changes. If if the big picture seems like too much to you, break it down into small doable things. What's the because you know I also deal with depression. So there are times in the winter, and winter is always rough on me, where I the idea of doing anything makes me want to hang, right? But find one thing you can do. And let me give you a list of some of the habits that I've adopted that I've, I've been really good about sticking with. I had a real rough time with mobility uh, a couple of years ago. So I gained so much weight, and I sat still for two or three years in depression after I stopped working. And when I started working out with a physical therapist and with physical trainers and all that again, the one thing they said to me is, Dell, no matter what you do, you've got to move every day, but you can start your day with stretching. And so after five years of not being able to sleep in a bed and then getting back into bed, um, I started waking up in the morning and doing a series of stretches that have gotten rid of 90% of the back pain that I was dealing with. So that's one thing that one, I'm committed to doing it because it feels so good. And the, the results have been immediate and slow. In other words, we talk about atomic habits. Little changes may not do much in the beginning, but they eventually they add up to big, big um, outcomes, right? And the same thing is through things like stretching and exercise. In the beginning, I could barely cross one leg over the other. And now I do it with ease. And the pain that I would have, the groin pull that I dealt with for five years, almost gone. So that's one of those small habits that I've adopted that I stick with because it really, really has had a great impact. Another one for me is I start my day off with oatmeal. No sugar, just some fresh fruit, some oatmeal, maybe some chopped dates, and, and filling the stomach up with that high, a high fiber um, dish starts the day off right, right? So those little habits, if you haven't read Atomic Habits, read it. Join us when we do our uh, our book study of it or course that we're going to do. Um, I think it's going to be an amazing thing. All right. When you said you had back pain, I just remembered that Eileen Kapsoftis said to say hello and happy birthday. Who is that? Who said that? Eileen Kapsoftis. You know, well, Eileen is the one that I went to. When you oh. were on it. She's, I know she's been on your show. Oh, my God. She has a regular spot. Oh, she does? Yeah. She's one of the best. Um, therapist, physical therapist I've, I've ever encountered, and she knows her science. She's also Whole Food Plant Bank, so that doesn't hurt either, does it? I know. She's amazing. She is amazing. All right, so we are at a place, and you can see, take a look there, you can see the um, the, the, the syrup, the things cooked down, everything's got a little brown that's going on to it. That's perfect. We're going to add in our, our minced garlic. And then I think I have some thyme in here. I have dried thyme, that's from my garden, but I was out, uh, I had some fresh thyme that I wanted to use up. So I just want to use that in here. And if you go from dry to fresh with your herbs, you're going to use a little bit more of the fresh in most cases. Um, they, they, they give you time to give you these standard rules of converting fresh herbs to dry in your cooking. And it's not always true, for example, cilantro, one, don't ever buy dry cilantro. It should, it should not even be legal. It, all the essential oils are gone when you dry cilantro, right? It's just one of those that you should buy fresh. 
but rosemary keeps and your hearty herbs like rosemary and oregano and thyme hold up well when you convert them from fresh to dry. And the general rule is um, um, for one part dry, you would convert to about three parts fresh. General rule, start off less is always more. Um, when you're making changes like that, start off with less and you can always add more, but you can't take it out, right? So chop these up and they're really well minced. You also don't want a great big bite of rosemary in here either, do you? Why is basil so delicate? I always have trouble with basil. Well, it's yeah, they they're so I have a we have a, a gem of a um master gardener here in Combs who's also vegan. I don't know if it's open based. Um she's called the Garden Sage and she when I listen to her on the radio, she talks extensively about um, the differences between the, the herb and the set. But basil is, is what they call it. Cilantro is too, they call it tender, tender perennial. So it grows as a perennial in some cultures in some parts of the world, but not here, not here, at least not here in Ohio. But it is a very delicate, isn't it? Very delicate herb. But basil, basil and cilantro, when you put me on that deserted island, so you got two, two herbs. What are your two herbs? I want basil and cilantro, right? Both members of the mint family. It's crazy. It's a member of the mint family. And most of the mints that you have, we have tons of growing in my backyard, are very sturdy. They're very hardy. But the basil, not so much, poor guy. It seems to get brown, uh, black and brown so quickly when I get it. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but, um, well, there are things you can do, though. If you're buying your fresh basil, you know... I grow as much basil as I can in the summer so that I don't have to buy any and I just use this fresh out of the garden. Uh, if, if you like basil, you should be doing the same thing, my friend, because where you are living now, you should get a good long uh, harvest out of your basil, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, so if you can grow your own basil, you want to save a lot of money because most of the stuff you get in the store, here's the problem with the store-bought fresh herbs, is by the time they get to you, they've used up most of their shop life, right? So you've really got to look for, I think my potatoes might be done. You've really got to look for um, the freshest herbs you can. Work with, get to know your grocer, get to know your produce person. I had one here in Columbus that I used to go to when I was catering and she she knew me and I got to, to like her and know her. I loved her in fact. And then when I would come in and tell her I had a job, if I was looking for some fresh herbs, she would go in back and get me the latest fresh herbs, right? She would get me the freshest fresh herbs. So there's a big difference there um, when you start, start realizing that's part of the problem. The other thing is when you get home, you need to store those fresh herbs right. The plastic container is not really it. And you also don't want to wash your herbs before you're going to store them in the refrigerator. You want to take them and wrap them in a piece of towel, a, a paper towel, and store them that way. The other thing that you can do is if you've got, like, your cilantro has the roots on it, and even not, is you can put it into a glass of water with just the roots touching the water and, and put a plastic bag over that, and it'll keep really well for several days that way. Okay, so you got you to gotta do a little bit of work with your herbs and such, but... That's okay. Um, 
you may or may not cook with red wine. It, it, the recipe calls for red wine here at this point. If you don't want to use the red wine, you, know, you could use grape juice if you want to. You could do, instead of a cup of, of red wine, you could do a couple of tablespoons of maybe balsamic vinegar. It would be use a, a good vinegar, like a balsamic vinegar, not a red wine vinegar, um, or a couple of tablespoons of lemon juice, maybe a tablespoon to start off and then see what you think. Because that's kind of what this is doing, is giving us that tartness that we love. We let that red wine get in there and do the thing um, and, and cook down, and it concentrates that flavor. But you can do it with other, other choices too. Um, you can do it with just vegetable stock. All right. Yeah, good idea. Del, do you know what box tea is? Joe is asking. It's, I guess it's an Irish dish. Box tea? No. Sure. Yeah, I, Googled, I Googled it with some kind of an Irish pancake. Oh, huh. no, I've not heard of it. Hmm, interesting. Tell them to share. They can send me a, a message. Um, I love I love learning new dishes. Um, is it and and is it one that you can make plant based? Let me look again at the recipe. I never heard of it. Uh, yeah, I never heard of it either. I somebody asked last month when you asked me when I told you what we were going to do uh, about making um oh what was it um stuffed cabbage rolls which is one of my favorites. And uh, maybe we'll do that next month when, uh, when it's still cool enough outside to, to keep cooking that kind of way. It looks delicious. Box tea is a traditional Irish potato pancake made. Uh, yes, I bet you could do it vegan because it's basically potatoes and sweet potatoes. I mean, they have buttermilk, but I'm sure you can use something else. Sounds good. We're making a, a buttermilk today, kind of a, a replacement for buttermilk when we make our Irish soda bread. But I... You know, I grew up on my mom made potato pancakes for us frequently when we had leftover potatoes. She would start with mashed potatoes and then we never did them with sweet potatoes, but mashed potatoes and some flour. And I think hers had egg in them, but I've done them since without the egg. <laughs> this is this is funny. One of the viewers posted uh, an Irish poem, Boxty on the griddle, Boxty on the pan. If you can't make Boxty, you'll never get a man. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That's some serious recipe. That's a serious <laughs> recipe right there. But I, you know, good heart pancakes, right? Potato pancakes. I'm all in for that. And then, of course, I imagine they're baked and not fried, since we're going to do it without the oil um, in this case. But I don't know. All right. So we're going to make an assumption here. After our red wine's cooked down a little bit, then we're going to add our turnips. Make sure, by the way, that you peel your turnips. You peel um, the parsnips, which you're also going to use. I, I don't peel unless I have to, but turnips and parsnips are two of those that get bitter pretty easily if you don't. Um, if you've never had those vegetables, this is kind of a good time for exploration, right? Um, turnips have a, a very distinct flavor, and I'm trying to think what they might be like. Um, parsnips almost have a little bit like a horseradish essence to them, right? They look like a carrot, but they're white or cream colored. Um, but, but turnips have a little bit more, they have a little bit of that medicinal flavor, but they're delicious. And they're creamy when you cook them down. So I added all that, my, oh, my burkini mushroom powder, I'll talk about that in just a second. And then I wanna get the uh, vegetable broth, oops, which I just put all over the counter in here so that we can, Make that magic happen. So are we, are you seeing this, everybody? Yep. 
this is going to be loveliness. I'm going to move this to the back stove. Let it do its thing. While we do our Kotanen, Kotanen. I can't even see anything. I have the accents, can I? All right. Let me find a towel. I don't burn my towel. Hey, your food is magically delicious. Aw, <laughs> it's magically. Is that a cooker cookie thing or a cookie commercial? <laughs> from Lucky Charms. Remember Frosted Lucky <laughs> Charms? Oh, They're right. magically delicious. Oh yeah, manly, yes, but I like We're it. Going silly here. The Irish, <laughs> Irish Spring Soap, that's right. Um, so, Colcannon is a, a mashed potato dish with cabbage or other greens. You could use kale and other things too. I'm in a cabbage kind of mood, so we're going there. And um, it's simple. It's a simple dish, but it's it's really it's lovely. Yeah, cabbage is one of those vegetables. I could boil a cabbage and add salt and pepper to it and be happy. It just has that flavor about it, right? Um, but the traditional kotanen has the butter and the cream and all all the richness to it. Well, here's the thing. That stuff does great for giving you that certain texture in your mashed potatoes, right? But we don't want it. So what I do is I make my kokan and I, I put my potatoes in there with some cauliflower. All right, and you know, I'm, I'm a, I have two foods that you'll find pervasive in my cooking and one is millet and the other one is cauliflower because cauliflower, when you cook it and puree it, it has a great creamy texture, but it does a great job of getting rid of the starchiness of our potatoes, okay, when we're doing a, a mashed potato. So I do that. Another option, another one that I do, by the way, is um, um, parsnip mashed potatoes. So it works too, but you know, the, 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 the advantage of the cauliflower is that it has such a neutral flavor. It really doesn't, perfect. It doesn't really um, add to the flavor of the dish as much as it changes the texture of it. So it's very neutral in that way. When you're making your potatoes, general rule, always start your potatoes off in cold water, all right? When you start them off in hot water, the starch freezes up and it, 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 it gives you different results. Start them off in your cold water, just enough water to cover the potatoes. And then I recommend saving that broth. We're gonna pour it off. Save that broth because that is liquid gold that can go on to become future vegetable stock, right? Now, someone has to help me get it out of here. Oh, there we go. And then we're gonna stick this back. If we can make it happen, out, hot, hot, hot. Back into, I may wanna use a, a grown up utensil to make this happen, AJ. Back into our pot. So I think I used three large recipes. And don't forget the recipes that are available. Uh, I think AJ put a link to them. 
Yep, I put a link in it, guys. You can click it. If you're watching on YouTube, that is, you won't see it on Facebook or Twitter, but on YouTube, you can see the recipe link. And then we're just going to match those. A little bit of salt if you're using it, pepper if you're using it, traditional mac. And if you need to, a little bit of your cooking liquid goes a long way. Noisy. And we're going to use a little more of our cooking liquid. Into the table. My table's on wheels, and I need to find, I bought little wheels that don't lock. So if I do any kind of work on here, I tend to move the table. All right, that is our mushroom. I mean, our our potato base, and we'll set that out of the way while we make the cabbage part of this. And again, this is just a dry step. Now, here's the thing: with the cabbage. It doesn't release its water in the same way that um, like other vegetables will. So you may need to start off with a little bit of water here. All right. And then we're going to cook that. Your recipe calls for three. I'm doing a little bit larger batch, by the way. Recipe calls for three green onions. You could use yellow onions if that's what you have. If you have yellow onions, then you start off by sauteing the yellow onions separately because they're going to cook longer than would your green onions. Green onions don't need a whole lot of cooking time and a more delicate flavor, etc. Moving the table again. Sorry. Sorry, video person. <laughs> green onions and scallions are the same thing, right? Yes, ma'am. I love them. They make everything delicious. Well, and, and then they don't require much effort, right? They just... Uh, they go right in there and off you go. So I've got a couple of the core pieces here that are not going to cook. So I'm going to pull those out as I see them. Yep. But let that do its thing off you go. And again, like I said, you could use, I'm going to sneak the black pepper. <laughs> You know, mix it up with your vegetables. Chard would be great in here. Swiss chard, red chard, rainbow chard, kale, baby kale, dinosaur kale, whatever. You spinach, you could, uh, spinach you would add in at the very end, it's very delicate. Chard you would add in towards the very end, it's delicate. Kale could go in a little bit earlier, um, not as early as the cabbage, but kale tends to be a little hardier. So you can, uh, in my opinion, growing up, we cooked greens until they were dead. We we cooked the heck out of the greens, right? Of course, it had all the icky stuff under the bacon fat and all that, but um, that's what we did. So you want this to cook down, and then all we're going to do is season that with salt and pepper if you want to, uh, cook it down to the tenderness that you like it, right? Um, the longer you cook it down, the, 
the flavor of the cabbage just the, the beautiful things as far as I'm concerned. All right, let me get this out of the way. Wipe off our table, and while that's the cooking, I'll start our Irish soda bread. I've been making Irish soda bread. The first restaurant I ever worked in was a vegetarian restaurant here in Columbus. That, uh, vegetarian and vegan, but it started off as vegetarian. It was a it was a heavy cheese factory back in the early days in '89. You remember? I met my friend Michelle, who's helping me out today there, um, and she remembers the menu back then. We had these things called cheese melts. You put two or three pieces of cheese on a piece of toast. You melt, you melted the cheese in a bowl in the microwave first. Then you put that on toast. I think it had lettuce, tomato, onion, mustard, and mayo. Yes, I loved that. And it, we did ours on rye bread. I loved that. It was a thing. I thought we were the only people. No, it, it's a them. thing. I loved it. Oh, I used to get double cheese on a bagel, and it was just messiest thing ever. But oh my gosh. I have made it, you know, I have it, my own cheese sauce recipe. I have made it with my cheese sauce. It's delicious. Absolutely delicious. All right. So we're going to make Irish soda bread. This, yeah, we, we used to make this. There's a couple of ways you can do it. We used to make individual round, like, you know, you bake them into a large muffin tin, um, big round. We're using a four-ounce scoop because that way we could, pull them out of the freezer or out of the fridge, and then um, last a few days or whatever. Irish soda bread is not notorious for lasting uh, really long at room temperature or, or whatever. Um, so you kind of have to gauge that and figure that out. But we like doing the individual serving sizes because um, that way you could, you could sort of get it through a few days as well. But Traditionally, it's made in a big loaf, and I'll, I'll show you the finished product here in just a minute. Um, but you're going to use um, a whole wheat flour. I'm using whole wheat white flour, which I've just started using. Um, I usually, usually I'll use either a whole wheat flour or a whole wheat, um, like a whole grain spelt flour um, to make this, which I, I love. Um, spelt flour is the Unhibernated, is that a word? Unhibernated version of wheat flour, right? It's an old, old grain. It's been around for a long, long time. Um, but what you do, whole wheat flour in a bowl, you're going to make your buttermilk, and that's traditionally what they use. We're going to make it using, and it looks like it'll turn into cheese if I let it. I took almond milk and then added a tablespoon of, of, of apple cider vinegar to that. And then let it sit. I wish I could show it to you up close because you can see it almost looks like it's getting ready to curd to curdle. Up, up, up. Yeah. You got it? It almost looks like it's ready to curdle, but that's that's kind of what you want. And you want to make sure you do this because we're using baking soda as our leavening agent. And baking soda, unlike baking powder, baking soda is using um, the acid. To, to, to rise. Uh, it's a combination of acid and heat where baking powder uses the heat to, to do the rising thing, right? Well, that's good. So we, we do this, let this set only five minutes, but before we add it to it, we're going to add in, where did it go? Um, our baking soda and, and sea salt if you're using into your bowl. 
List that up really well. AJ, do you miss baking? You don't do any baking anymore, do you? Do I teach classes? I do. I mean, but I do bake. You know, I try to keep them low on the calorie density scale and low fat. So I bake, but not obsessively like when I was a pastry chef. That that can get you in a little trouble. Well, you know, I owned a vegan bakery for four years, and I get that's part of how I gained two hundred pounds. I've never been a skinny guy, um, and and all of my life I've I've never been skinny. But for most of my life, I was maybe forty pounds overweight, 50, 30 pounds overweight. Um, after I closed that bakery was when I ended up being 200 pounds overweight. And so maybe for a guy like me, and I, you know, I didn't think about it much then, uh, a guy like me who's been on those binge diets all his life, bakery wasn't the best idea. Yeah, yeah. That's like having a fox guard the hen house, you know? <laughs> Big old fox. Yeah. So raisins are optional in this. And another one that I've seen recipes for, is caraway, which I actually do love in my Irish soda bread. But if you're going to buy golden raisins, look for unsulfured golden raisins. They're doable. They're, um, I think there's a specific name for them, but you can find them. And then if you buy them organically, they're unsulfured usually too. So flour, baking soda, salt if you're using, caraway, you can add a teaspoon of caraway and see if you like it. And then a cup of raisins if you like them. And then your acidulated, that's our fancy name for it, our acidulated, oh, there it is, acidulated uh, almond milk or whatever plant milk you're using. I don't know if, if the acidulation process works for all of the um, plant milks that you can buy. So you may have to test that on your own, um, but it works with the almond. They work very well with soy because that's how you turn soy into uh, tofu is by making soy milk and then acidulating it and separating the curds and the whey. Look at that browning going on in that, and that cabbage is going to be delicious. Cabbage is so good. Oh my God. It's one of those things that, you know, it just is delicious. Growing up, cabbage was my favorite vegetable. Until Brussels sprouts became my favorite vegetable. Oh, yeah. I, I love Brussels sprouts too. Oh, I love you, the Brussels sprouts. All right. So we're going to fold this together until all the flour is absorbed. And if it seems too sticky, you can go add in another, add in more flour, a tablespoon at a time. Don't go crazy. Learn that habit of nothing else from your baking and from your cooking that when you want to try and make changes, Start off with the smallest incremental changes we, you can make. Like we talked about with our atomic habits, the small changes can lead to big results, right? So start off small, a tablespoon or two of flour as you get, because if you put too much flour and you can't take it out, and two, it ends up dry and crumbly. All right, so we want the moistness. Um, we want it to hold together, but we want that moistness. And I almost never add more to mine. I work this little spatula. But you know, different flowers absorb liquid differently. Chef AJ would tell you this in her baking classes. And so if you go from one, if you've made it one way and change it and go to another way, then you need to keep in mind that your, your different flowers are going to act differently. Uh, they're going to absorb liquid differently, and you may have to adjust the recipe for that. So that's looking pretty good. 
And we're going to take our baked, our prepared baking sheet. We've got a silk hat line sheet here. And we're just going to put that onto our sheet, shape it a little bit. Normally, I would get in there with my hand, but I'm trying not to. Trying to manage everything with uh, without having to do hand washing. What do, you, what, what do you think of people that salt their food before they even taste it? Well, it's a bad habit after all, because every, you and I can make the same recipe, right? And it's going to taste different. And a pinch of salt to one person is a tablespoon to another. So especially when you go out to eat, if, if, if you are a home cook and you've made this recipe over and over and you probably know, what's going on with the salt, right? But if you go out to eat, if you're eating someone else's food, you don't know what they've done. So you end up with an over-salted dish. And also just assume, you know what? I've gotten to the place where I salt at the end. You know, you, you add the salt at the end so you use less, right? The salt flavor sits on top of the stove, on top of the dish and not all throughout, but you still get that salt flavor if you want. Um, I've actually been using more of the, uh, Okay, I can't think of the name that salt substitute. A uh, green salt or Benson's uh, green salt, Benson's table tasty. Green salt, I've not tried yet. Should I? Um, it, it it still has sodium, but it has like seventy five percent less. It's made from sea asparagus. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, I've heard about. You that. might like it. I mean, I it, to me, it tastes just like salt. It's just. There's one that I think I you showed it's um, a blend of different ingredients, like maybe sumac. Uh, salacious is delicious. I use that. I, I that, bought that is know, quite delicious. It's good. And you get again, you uh, eventually you adjust to um, a, a lower level of salt and um, you don't miss it. You you really don't. Food um, has salt in it naturally, right? Sodium is in everything, and uh, that's the deal. All right. So that's our sodium or um that's our Irish soda bread. I'm going to see if I can turn this around. I'm, I'm dangerous, living dangerously. This is our finished soda, Irish soda bread. Isn't that gorgeous? Yep. But you want to, before you cut it, I made this one earlier so that I could, I could do this. You want to let it sit for an hour before you cut it because if you cut it too early, it dries out quicker. All right? So... Just to let you see that looks like on the inside. And where I used to insist on having butter in my Irish soda bread, now my favorite thing is I make a sugar-free apple butter and just mm. find good apples and let them cook down until they're apple butter. You don't know, risk the butter. Sometimes peanut butter, but Peanut butter might be my other addiction. Oh man, that's dangerous. <laughs> I'm kind of careful about how much I have that in the house. All right, so to finish our cold conning, our luck of the eye of the fish today, I'm going to use a bigger pot here. We're just going to spoon our potatoes into the pot. Oh my God, I'm so excited. And this may be all I eat today, isn't it? It looks so good. You can't go wrong. AJ, did I hear you say five pounds of vegetables a day? 
Oh, I eat, I eat two. When I was losing weight, I was probably eating three and four, but I only eat two now. Two. Okay. Two. Target. Yep. Or a goal could be just one, you know, for people. They could do it over two or three meals. I'm already at one at least. I maybe even eat two. You know, with, with things like Brussels sprouts that are so delicious, I mean, when you cook them, you know, if you're going to try to eat a pound of raw kale, that ain't going to happen in my opinion. But when you cook the vegetables, especially greens, they shrink down to really nothing. Yeah, they really do, don't they? And so uh, I'll head, head a cabbage easy. I'd be all in. Now, five pounds or two pounds of potatoes, that's a heavy meal. That's a heavy day. But that's kind of the point. Yeah, you want to fill your belly with what Dr. Lyle calls the wet starches, this, the, the, the ones that are, you know, not, not cereal and pasta and, well, pasta actually has water, but not like cereal and crackers and things like that. Wet starches. Wet starches is what he says. All right, Dr. Lyle, and he knows. All right, so this is our common. Am I gorgeous? Yes. I know. You wish you were here, don't you? Yes. I wish there was taste division, smell division. <laughs> I may have to um, come visit you so I can cook for you one of the days. It was so fun when you were at Healthy Taste of LA those years ago and you made your, oh, what was it? it was shepherd's pie, your famous shepherd's pie from Forks Over Knives. I learned from you back then and um, I sort of did it anyway. Um, you treated your volunteers like gold. Yeah. They loved working with you on projects and gave up so much of their time to do so. And I heard you say it. You think you said it to me. I treat them well. Well, you got to treat them even better than the paid people because, I mean, they're, they're, they're most, you know, they're the most precious people to uh, any kind of functioning of an event. Yeah, they really. Yeah, and because they're not doing it to get paid, so their heart is in it. I volunteer. You know, that's the one thing about the pandemic. I volunteered. Was thinking about this since I, you know, pretty much have been able to drive. I've done some kind of volunteer work. With the pandemic, it kind of put the kibosh on it, and I've got to find some opportunities where I live now because since mostly what I would do is something called pet therapy, where I take my dog to hospitals, nursing homes, and special schools. Uh, But everything has gotten so strict with the pandemic, you know. It has. I've been volunteering and I haven't gotten to do as much of them as I want. We have um, a local farm that deals with food insecurity called Frankenson Farms. And they are putting together their first food truck and they want to make it vegetable centered. It won't be strictly vegan, but it'll be vegetable centered because they've got a beautiful inner city farm and they give away tons of produce every year. So I was on the um, advisory board for their food truck and they've done their initial launch. And their food truck, this is great if anybody's interested in doing something like this, the food truck does two things. It goes into communities where there's money to educate people about what they're doing and they make money, they they sell to those people. They sell their food there, but then they go into underserved communities and they give that food away. And they show people how to use it. So it's a great organization. And I'm hoping I get to spend more time with them in the coming years. Another one that I did a few years ago before the pandemic, and then I got sick and I had to take a break, um, was we have something called the Bronzeville Growers Market. And she's a master gardener who is helping people in 
um, in these underserved communities to start their own gardens. And it's wonderful. So I've done some work with them. All right, so this is our, um, back to our pot roast, and then we're almost done, AJ. Nice. John Pierre always says volunteering is the rent we pay for the privilege of living on earth. I, I think it's true. I mean, I think you need to find something. And, you know, the connections that you make and meeting people outside of, I mean, I have a kind of a large social circle because I'm kind of an outward guy in that regard with work and such. But meeting people from, from different places and, and, and different lives is you learn so much about us as human beings. All right, so when this is ready, these aren't quite tender, but I think it's gonna be okay. Um, we've got a slurry. We mixed some arrowroot powder um, with water, and then we're just gonna add that in and let that thicken up. If you don't wanna use the arrowroot, you can thicken this by taking some of your vegetables, especially your starchy ones, and then um, adding them to a blender with some vegetable broth and pureeing them and adding that back in. Up to you. But that, my friends, is our Irish stovetop, what's it called? Our stovetop powder. That's amazing. Isn't that great? And it's not, it seems like it's going to be so satiating. Yeah, there's some of the flavors there, the herbs, the spices, the, the vegetables themselves. This is what I like about this dish, is you get to taste the individual vegetables. You taste the carrots, you taste the parsley, you taste the turnips, so that you have all those flavors. So it's kind of like a little treat in your mouth, right? So I, I love it for that reason. And serve with our kokan in here. Oh, what a good day. Oh my God. Potatoes with potatoes. <laughs> I know. Happy people, aren't we? If your leftover cannon, do you ever think about like, like air frying it, like making it into little patties or something? You certainly could. Um, you could maybe even dredge it in some cornmeal, which toasts up nicely in the air fryer and, um, and, and cook them that way. I would probably add some more flour or arrowroot to it. Or maybe even a flaxseed egg if you want to go really, really healthy and um, do it that way. But yeah, add some flaxseed eggs, shape them, dip them in your dredge of whatever you're going to do, throw them in the air fryer. Or we could do them as little, um, little nuggets that way too, right? Like little potato balls almost. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. Wow. And happiness, happiness, everybody. Wow. So Dell, you're going to be coming back in April. So you're going to be preceding two hospitals, <laughs> two holidays, <laughs> Passover and Easter. Any thoughts for those holidays? Look for a couple of my favorite dish. We're going to make, I think we've got to do latkes. Mm, for Passover. I'm we'll do latkes, which I make every year for um, yours and my friend, Dr. Pam Popper. And we're going to do, um, I serve them with, um, a tofu sour cream, but maybe I'll make you my cauliflower sour cream. When your life is. Everybody wants the tofu, and then we'll do fried apples. Quote, fried apples. Ooh. Is that a good start? That sounds amazing. What are traditional Easter dishes that people usually have? Ham, right? Uh, ham is a big one, and then, um, or a prime rib or lamb or stuff like that show up. But we also could do, uh, maybe I'll do this, uh, the first spring soup, we'll make, um, like a um, potato leek or a, an asparagus bisque or something like that. 
And if I can find a good dessert, I, you know, I'm trying to avoid the dessert thing. But yeah, you don't have to do dessert. I mean, that's okay. But what is a traditional? I don't know if we have Passover desserts, so to speak, because uh, you, no, you, you don't have flour on Passover. Oh, right. You don't, do you? Nope. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> a lemon curd. Uh, I, I can make you a lemon tart without flour. Ooh, that sounds intriguing. Because I do a date-based lemon curd. Now it's delicious, and then a walnut crust. No, it's delicious. Delicious. Everything you make is delicious. You're dead right about that. All right. Wow, that pot, that is a big pot, Del. <laughs> well, this is all from the uh, personal chef catering days. I remember when you were in that that kitchen that you used at the Wellness Forum. That was such a small kitchen. What was it like? A hundred square feet? <laughs> you used, well, you know, I felt the same way when I first walked in there. But you, you say that every time we used to come in, they were like, oh, my God, how do you do anything in here? I've catered weddings for 300 out of that kitchen. I did. Um, we have a festival here every year that I used to do where I had to make maybe 1,200 servings of, of sandwiches and peanut noodles and salads out of that kitchen. So it's doable. And what I like about it is I like having everything right there. So when you set up a mise en place and you have everything ready to go, there isn't a lot of wandering because our walk-in was on the other side of the building. To get to my walk-in, to get to my, my dry storage, most of it was on the other side of the building. So I'd bring everything close by and have it ready to go. Then I'd just sit there and churn it out. Man, you, you're, you're the man for that. You, you don't still do catering, do you? No, I've I, I, I seriously retired from catering. I'm done. Um, I'm strictly sticking to the education side of it, even if I leave the T. Collin Camp Center. I hope I'm there until the day I retire. Um, but if I leave, it's all about education for me. Yeah. Oh, um, there's a suggestion that to take a piece of broccoli and then surround the coal cannon with the broccoli before we air fry it. That sounds yummy. Oh, that sounds good. Sure. Yep. That sounds good. Well, Dell, you're a star, man. Thank you so much for these delicious recipes. And you know what you made last month, the jackfruit, that 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 kind of has a, a St. Patrick's Day feel as well. You could do, yeah, that, for sure. And you could certainly, you could, I, I forgot to mention, you could certainly put jackfruit into your pot roast here if you wanted to. What I like to do with my jackfruit is um, I usually cook it in some water first to get out the excess salt if, it, if it's in a brine. And then I air, I, I, I air fry it to dry it out some. It gives it a really nice meatier texture, if, that, if you like that. And then throw that into whatever it is you're going to serve it with. It's delicious. Mm. Well, Tina made a, a good point. A small kitchen, small cleanup. Although if you... If you, I, I sometimes show uh, a tour of my kitchen of what, this one's not so bad. Um, there have been, I, I do a class, we have a wellness course and I do, there's two cooking segments and one of them, I do eight or nine dishes in an hour just to show how you can do a batch cook and get a lot out of it, right? So I do a cheese sauce, I do a stir fry sauce and then I, and baked potatoes and rice and I show all the things that you can get out of that. And, that, and you should see the piles of dishes and food in this little tiny space. But ideally, yes, small space, small, small cleaning. I just love when people clean up for you, don't you? Oh, I miss those days. Yeah, I've got a, my videographer here. She would if I, but she doesn't want to. <laughs> you know what impressed me so much like about the real chefy chefs like you and Eric 
Le Chasseur and Ramses Bravo is when you guys were doing Healthy Taste of LA, you guys were getting paid like almost nothing because we didn't we didn't make anything back then, you know. And it, like you would like, like sweep after yourself, you know, like you weren't prima donnas about it. You guys, you know, the, the male chefs, you just do what needs to be done, you know. Well, and that's I mean, that's kind of the for me, it comes from owning your own business. And in the end, it all finishes with you. At the end of the day, you're the last one out the door because everything has to be done a certain way, right? You've got to get it done. And you're lucky if you have employees or volunteers that, that do all of that. But um, ultimately, it's your responsibility. And there were times when, you know, I did this business. I did the catering personal chef business out of this very kitchen. Not legally, but they can't catch me now. But I did a meal delivery service out of this kitchen. So I had to cook, um, deliver, you know, clean up deliver meals and, and all of that. And that was the nature of the beast. It was just me. So when you get used to working that way, it's it's just what you do. Yeah. One of the viewers is saying chocolate covered matzah. That is a thing for Passover. Can I buy the matzah instead of making it? Absolutely. And and you know, you know, there's a need for gluten-free matzah for people. All right, let me I have to make make notes here, AJ, if I'm going to do like something different here. Yeah, I'm just just making some suggestions. That well, I love the no, the suggestions are what makes it fun to see. And you know, you give me a challenge, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take it on, uh, try something new. All nice. Right. So no one makes gluten free matzo. Well, there's it's probably there now. I haven't looked in a while, but I, I would I would bet that it's available now. Well, we'll find out. But nice. covered in chocolate sounds like a nice treat. Yeah. Well, you know, anything covered in chocolate, even like, I mean, you know, there's chocolate covered grasshoppers, not that I would like eat them, but I think when you put chocolate on anything, it's good. And I want, I used to think that I would never like the chocolate covered, those little chocolate nibs, the cacao nibs. They're not bad. They're not bad. And especially <laughs> if you've gotten rid of the sugar thing, right? Those, those, oh my gosh, they're a lovely little treat. Once you get, you know, once people, you know, a lot of times it, it, we're not used to the bitter flavors that other cultures are, but once you are, they're, they're actually kind of good. Yeah, I agree. So I'm all in. Nice. Well, Del, thanks for another fabulous presentation. It's fun. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. I love watching you cook. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef A Live. I do hope you'll come back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific time because Dr. John McDougall is giving a brand new lecture here first. And it's all about hunger. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.